Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Amen? Amen. Happy Easter. Listen, we all understand why Jesus died on the cross, right? We've been taught that. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His death provided the atonement for my sins and for your sins. His shed blood provides us with forgiveness of sin. So we understand that, but why was it necessary for Jesus to rise from the dead? Why was the resurrection necessarily? And more important, how does it affect me today? How does it affect us right here and now in our lives today? And for this reason, Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm going to share that with you. First of all, one of the reasons why Jesus rose from the dead is the resurrection proves his claims. It proves the claims of Christ. Let me read this to you. In John chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. He said, destroy the temple, and in three days... I'll raise it up again. In Matthew chapter 12, 
Verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 22, it says, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will rise up, be raised up, excuse me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. They probably missed the second part of that, right? Uh, John chapter 10, verse 17. Therefore my Father loves me. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that he is exactly what he says he is and who he says he is. But what exactly were his claims? Well, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said something really radical to the Jewish people there. He said, I and my Father are one. In Matthew 9, verses 1, tells a story. It says, So he got into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. At once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Hey, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to do? To say your sins are forgiven you? Or to say arise and walk? I mean, think about it. It's easy to just say to someone, Hey, your sins are forgiven you. That's pretty easy, right? How, how can you prove that on the outside? But here you've got a paralytic laying there. And so he said, What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Because Jesus has power on earth to forgive sins. John chapter 6, verse 40 says, And this is Jesus speaking again, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus made all these amazing claims. I and the Father of one. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Anyone who believes in me, I'll raise him up on the last day. Jesus made all these tremendous claims, but how could he prove it? How could he back it up? By rising from the dead. The resurrection proves the claims that Jesus made. But not only that, the resurrection also proclaims our justification. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul, writing about the resurrection, he says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, if Christ isn't risen. In Romans 4, 25, Paul also said this, speaking of Jesus, he says, Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. You see, think about it. If his sacrifice for our sins. If Jesus was a sinner and had died, he would have stayed in the tomb. He wouldn't have rose again. He would have, he would have stayed dead. But his sacrifice for our sin was accepted by the Father 
And the evidence of it is that Jesus rose again from the dead. His sacrifice was accepted. His resurrection proclaims our justification. What is justification? It's a very, it's a big word, but you can break it down to just as if I've never sinned. That's what justification means in a nutshell. You know, it's one thing to confess your sin. Maybe you've sinned against someone. You say, man, I'm really sorry. Would you please forgive me? And they'll, and you know, and if they're gracious and they're merciful, they'll say, yeah, I forgive you. But you know, there's always that knowledge between the two of you. Man, I really hurt that person. I, and you know, and maybe they don't carry it. Maybe they don't bring it up again. But it's still kind of there, right? If, if not with them, it's with you, right? You're like, man, I can't believe I did that. I feel like a heel and all that stuff. Justification is totally different. Justification is like, hey, it's like you going back to that person saying, do you remember, I'm sorry I did that. They're like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. It's just as if you've never sinned. That's what justification is. And his resurrection proclaims our justification. Paul said this in Romans 5.18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. I think it's interesting that he says justification of life, because that means that you and I can live a justified life in the presence of God the Father. We live justified it's an ongoing thing what a beautiful gift that we have so the resurrection that proves christ's claims it proclaims our justification and the resurrection also promises us our resurrection if you've lost a loved one who was a believer in the lord this is important to you because you know that one day you'll be reunited with that loved one in heaven in the presence of the Lord. It's, a, it's, it's for the Christians. This is our hope. This is why we don't grieve the way others grieve at funerals. Yeah, we're hurt. We're, we're, our hearts are torn out when someone, when a loved one passes away. But as believers, man, we don't, it's not like, oh, I'm never going to see them. No, we know that we're going to see them when it's again, because Jesus rose from the dead. We too will rise again from the dead. 1 Corinthians 6, 4, Paul says, And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. By the way, even unbelievers are going to get resurrected. Did you know that? Even unbelievers are going to be resurrected. But for them, it's going to be a resurrection to judgment and eternal damnation. It's called the great white throne judgment where everyone, both great and small, old and young, everyone is going to rise at that point. That's in Revelation 20 if you want to look that up. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, the resurrection, it's going to be a resurrection to eternal life forever in Christ's presence. Paul wrote this also in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote this, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words." So the resurrection, it proves his claims, it proclaims our justification, it promises us our resurrection, and it also paves the work for Christ's work in us, on our behalf. Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's what Jesus came into the world to do, to save sinners. Listen, what do bakers do? They bake, right? Bakers bake. What do salesmen do? They sell. Uh, what do inspectors do? Or I'm kind of inspectors in my mind. You know. what do ins- they inspect. They also give you a hard time. No, but they inspect. Uh, what do sitters do? They sit. Preachers? Hey, they preach. Um, welders weld. Politicians lie. Okay, that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, plumbers plumb, right? People, they do what they are, right? What does a Savior do? He saves sinners. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the resurrection paves the way for his saving work on your and my behalf. Listen, Hebrews 7.25, if you ever, it's such an amazing verse, Hebrews 7.25. It's an encouragement for you. Maybe you're struggling in your walk right now. I want to encourage you here. Hebrews 7.25, says, Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is it, you know, we go, he's able to save to the uttermost. What does that mean? Man, I'm excited to tell you this. It means different things. Referring qualitatively, okay, qualitatively, it means that he saves completely. No one is too bad to be forgiven. You've never done too much that God cannot forgive your sins. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know when you're lost? You're lost. <laughs> you're not like partway lost. You're not like, well, I kind of got a clue, but I'm lost. No, you're, you're either you're lost or you're not lost. And if you are lost and you're dead in your sins or not, Jesus, he came to live again. He saves us uttermost, utter, to the uttermost, excuse me. He saves us completely. You're either lost or you're not lost. So if you're lost, he's come to save you. I guess that's what I was trying to get a point. <laughs> John 10, 28, Jesus says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. Sometimes people think, well, I wonder if I, you know, am I still saved? You know, if I did something, am I still saved? Listen, he's not going to leave you half saved. Isn't that good news this morning? He's not going to leave you half saved. He's not going to give up on you because you keep screwing up. Even if you keep screwing up, he's not going to give up on you. Why? Because Paul says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Man, that's an exciting thing. I'm excited about that. So qualitatively, it means you're saved completely. He's able to save completely. But it also refers to quantitatively. 
quantitatively, and that means entirely. In other words, no one is excluded from salvation. No one is excluded. Jesus said in John 3.16, and that's a verse we all know, right? But I'm also going to quote verse 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world, everybody. 2 Peter 3.9, Peter writes this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's no one beyond being saved. But uttermost doesn't just refer to qualitatively and quantitatively. It also refers to time. He's able to save forever. Listen, Hebrews 13.20 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus has offered you an everlasting covenant of salvation. Everlasting That's why we sing, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Because even after 2,000 years, His blood still is powerful enough to forgive you of your sins and to wash you clean and to cleanse you. The Bible says that He always lives, Hebrews 7.25, it says that He also, He always lives to make intercession for them. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the, scro- endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right now, where is Jesus? He's in my heart. He's in your heart if you have a relationship with the Lord. But he's also sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now. He is countering the accusations that the accuser of the brethren, Satan, makes against you. And you've you felt those accusations, right? You've had the accusations of the enemy. You know, oh, you're, you're, you're such a louse. You know, how can God save someone like you? You're a hypocrite and all that. But guess what? The Bible says that Jesus is there praying for you. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you before the Father. So the resurrection, it proves his claims. It proclaims our justification. It promises us our resurrection It paves the way for his work on our behalf. And there's one last thing. It provides us with his presence. Provides us with his presence. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Matthew 28 Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. He has already risen from the dead. His disciples are gathered around him. And in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." You know, some people say, well, you know, these promises, they were just made to the disciples. Well, think about it. They're already dead. 
They're already in heaven. The age hasn't ended. That scripture was written for you and I, a believer in Jesus Christ. He's promised to be with us to the end of the age. And guess what? I think the age is getting pretty close. I think we're getting near to the end of the age. I honestly believe that. We have his presence. Jesus said this in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I want to encourage you in something. You know, sometimes we pray and we ask the Lord, Lord, will you reveal, would you speak to my heart what to do? And he does. And sometimes, you know what, sometimes we, mis- we, get, we get maybe mixed signals or we, you know, maybe it's not the Lord. Maybe it's like we just had a bad dinner and we got indigestion or something, we have nightmare dreams or something or whatever. And, you know, maybe you make a, you go, I, I believe the Lord's telling me to do that. And you go and you make that step and, you know, you find out it's wrong. Have you ever done that before? I've done it before. You do something, you go, I, I guess I, that wasn't really the Lord's voice. But you know what? That's a learning experience. We're to grow learning, the recognizing the voice of our shepherd. It just doesn't come and Jesus says, uh, Don, I want you to go do this. You know, it's like, it's, like it's, it's a learning to discern his voice among, there's a lot of other voices out there. How do you discern his voice? Well, it comes with practice. It comes with stepping out in faith. I believe the Lord's telling me to do this. And you do it. And, and it, it'll become evident if it was the Lord. And if it's not, you learn from it. But eventually, you start recognizing his voice. I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you another thing with the Lord's presence. Listen, Paul the Apostle, man, he wrote so much of the New Testament. He started so many churches. And by the time he writes his last epistle, the second letter to Timothy, he's pretty much about as low as you can get as a believer. Pretty low. He feels like he's been abandoned by everybody. Listen to what he says here. He's writing to Timothy, right? And he says this, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens, another guy, for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get, bring, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words." At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged to him, against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. May he have been depart- he had been felt like he'd been abandoned by everybody, but there was one person that didn't abandon him, and that was the Lord. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You know, we sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning. We have a friend in Jesus. You may lose friends. People may desert you. People may may turn their backs on you, but Jesus never will. You have his eternal abiding presence in you. Jesus is alive, and guess what? He's fully aware of what is going on. He knows. He knows your situation. Listen to the believers in the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. Jesus said this, I know your works. 
your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. The Lord knew the work of the believers in Ephesus to the believers in a persecuted church, in the church in Smyrna. Listen to what Jesus says. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews or are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. She said, I know what you're going through. To the believers in Pergamos, Jesus said, I know your works and where you dwell. I know where you're at. I know where you're, I know the place you're in. I know where you're at and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. And even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed, who was among you, where Satan dwells. To the church, uh, excuse me, to the believers in the church of Thyatira, Jesus said this, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. I, I know what you're doing. I know your heart. I know how patient you are. To the believers in the church in Philadelphia, Jesus said, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. You might be going through a difficult time here. Jesus knows your situation. In fact, he knows your heart. He knows where you are. He knows why you are where you are. He knows it. He's aware. He's fully aware of it. But he also had this to say to a couple other churches. To the church of Laodicea, he said, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. Jesus knew the lukewarm believers. To the church of Sardis, he said, I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive. Man, but you're dead. So it's good or it's bad, right? Jesus, if, if you're going through a tough time, man, Jesus knows what you're going through. If you're kind of like playing on the fence with the Lord, he knows that too. He's fully aware of that as well. Listen, Jesus is alive this morning and he knows all about you. So think about it. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Why was it necessary? It proves the claims that Jesus made, the claims that he can forgive sins, the claims that he is God, the claims that he will take all those who believe in him to heaven to be with him forever. It also provides us, it proclaims our justification, man. It's just as if we have not sinned. His sacrifice for our sins was accepted on the cross. And when he rose again from the dead, it was proof his sins were accepted. Or I mean, his sacrifice was accepted. I'm justified. For those that have lost loved ones, man, the fact, the very fact that, you know what, this life isn't it. We're going to see our loved ones again in Christ Jesus. What a joy. We have that hope of the resurrection ourselves. And also, it paves the way for Christ's work in our lives. He saves sinners. He's able to save us to the uttermost. He who began a good work in you is going to complete it. He's not going to give up on you and I. And then finally, we have his abiding presence in our hearts and our lives today. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives salvation to impart. You ask me why... How do I know he lives? Man, he lives inside my heart. Amen?